Sunday of Advent. And uh, thanks for leading us in worship, by the way. It's outstanding. Did you guys enjoy the worship today? Well, that was good. And so we are focusing on the characters in the story and specifically the roles that they play. So we're going to talk about the shepherds and angels. In fact, when you start coming in, you'll notice on the first two panes of glass, the kids have hung some ornaments for angels and shepherds, and we're going to go across the glass out there and uh, each week and put different ornaments up. So today we're focusing on the role of the angels and the shepherds as the announcers. Um, that was their job, to announce the Messiah. Next week we're going to talk about the animals. You ever wonder what the role of the animals were? Especially since they're not specifically mentioned in the story, but they were in a manger. So there's a pretty good chance there were animals around. So the animals actually play a role too. We're going to talk about that next week. So, but first, what is Advent? Well, it's a Christian series of Sundays set aside for Sundays to begin to um, prepare us for Christmas. So we're going to think of it as a journey. Sunday by Sunday, we're going to go on a journey toward Christmas, okay? And uh, by, this, by the way, like these decorations, like what they've done up here? This is great, huh? <laughs> During Advent, it's fun because the decorations grow and change. And one of the things, this is my ninth Christmas here, and I love looking forward to seeing what's different every year because I have no idea. They don't tell me. They don't tell me much, actually. But they, uh, but they change things, and it begins to grow. And we're going to come back to this in a moment because it's very, um, it's very important to understand why we do all this. But Advent, at the heart of Advent, is an anticipation. We're looking forward to something. We're looking forward to the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ. Same word, one's Hebrew, one's Greek. Okay? Um, and so the coming Savior, that's what they were looking forward to. We don't know what it's like to live in the Roman Empire. I'm going to say a word about that in a little bit. But you can, if you can even glimpse something, um, you know, Rome, Rome had their peace. They called it the Pax Romana, which is really good for all the elites and the wealthy people, the senators and things like that. But for the average peasant, it, it was occupation uh, under the control of the Roman legions, and it was not a very good world to them. And so they waited, and they had waited all these years, and all of a sudden the Messiah appears. Uh, and it had been over 400 years of darkness since uh, the glory of the Lord left the temple. And so they were anticipating it, and they were looking forward to it. Um, depending on who you were within Judaism, your anticipation looked a little different. For the faithful, it was about the coming of the Messiah to help us and to take care of us. For people like the Pharisees, it was, it was about a coming ruler, a king that would restore um, what happened with David, the kingdom of David, if you will. And so this is a time of great anticipation. So the early church put this in place to help us on our journey to Christ, to Christmas, to the birth, to prepare our hearts for that. So think of it this way. It is an invitation. It's an invitation to um, step into the Lord's presence and enjoy his gifts, to enjoy his love, to enjoy his forgiveness, to enjoy all the things that go with it. But the early church and all throughout church history with Advent, Advent has been focused on service to others, uh, putting others first, almsgiving, things like that to help the poor. Why in the world would they take this time and focus it on almsgiving? Well, I mean, there's obvious connections there. You know, for one, the uh, Jesus, what Jesus did, you know, he came to seek the, uh, and save the lost. And uh, he talks a lot about 
the least in the kingdom of heaven is really a great person. And uh, if you want to be first, you learn have to learn to be last and to give up things. Um, and so there's an obvious connection there, but there's something else going on too that we've learned. You can see it in scriptures and we've learned it in real life is that we're entering in this time of Advent as a church um, and a lot, of, a lot of turmoil going on around us. I fully anticipate this week a mask mandate. All the counties in Denver have now done it. The infection rate is climbing at a very rapid rate, and I'm fully expecting a mask mandate to be put in place. And so um, you'll hear from us. We'll send you an email what that looks like if that happens. And so that's got, you've heard about the new variants now in eight countries, that sort of thing. Okay, and there's a lot of, a lot of fear. There's a lot of things, that, but what you have to remember in the middle of all this tension is that the Lord is the one that's in control. That's what we talked about with Ecclesiastes. I loved what's happening on social media right now. They're posting all of the CDC guidelines earlier. Now that, uh, now that you've, if you've been vaccinated, good news. If you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. All of a sudden, we have a new variant. Okay, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what that means. All I know is I don't want to get sick. I have asthma. I've had pneumonia. You guys know I was in ICU. I don't want to get sick. And so I have a feeling that's going to happen. And so this turmoil, this swirl all around us, and everything from politics to, uh, to infectious diseases to pandemics. You know what I'm talking about, right? And this gives us a chance to take a look at what we were created for. That's really what it is, is to help us understand how God made us and why. Now, the connection to service is actually a simple one. Because when you begin to focus on someone else, you begin to stop focusing on yourself. And believe it or not, the fastest way to begin to reduce the tension is to start serving someone else. So I want you to think, in keeping with the tradition of Advent, I want you to think about someone else that you can reach out to. Maybe somebody that needs financial help. Give them money. Help them. Okay? If you don't have any, come talk to me. I'll give you some and you can give it to them. <laughs> think about that. Think about people that need help in other ways. Maybe they need encouragement. Maybe they've lost someone. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they have someone who's sick. We've had, gosh, we've had like seven deaths in the last month, um, uh, family members of our people. And so there's all kinds of needs. Go look at the prayer list on the website and pray for people. Write them a note and encourage them. You know how wonderful it is as a staff? We receive some of your notes. Thank you for that. Find somebody and just send them a note and say, I've been thinking about you lately and I just want to encourage you. Because when you begin to look towards someone else, you start looking away from yourself. And honestly, that's one of the secrets to uh, eliminating and handling the, all the stress that we're feeling right now. So this is a time, it's an invitation to enter into a time to really intentionally use this brain power up here to focus on who Christ is, why he came, and all of that. So, why a tree? Let's talk about that for a moment. One of the things I hear often is that a tree uh, has its roots in paganism. It's true. It does. I'm not going to deny that. It goes back a long, long, long time. They used to think that a tree would ward off evil spirits, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, we don't agree with that, obviously. But where did it come into the Christian stream? Church history uh, says that it began with Martin Luther. I don't have proof of that, but um, he is the one that's credited with making it popular. And the story goes, he was walking home in Germany, so it has his roots in Germany, and walking home, and it's cold, and he could see all the stars, and that caused him to reflect on the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. And so he went home and put candles on a tree. So why can't we do this? I'm all in favor of co-opting pagan practices. You know, if that's what we got to do, let's do it. And um, 
So, by the way, I don't ever see the reverse, except for one time, where, where the world copies us. Apparently, we're not very good at doing things because nobody wants to copy us. But back when the Rockies went to the World Series, I was visiting Molly in Boston, my daughter, and uh, we were playing the Red Sox in the NLCS and so I, or the World Series. And so I wanted to see what this Red Sox nation was all about. So I went down to one of the local bars. Molly had some engagement. And I walked up, standing room only, because uh, one of the games was on, and um, worked my way back. There was one seat back in the far corner um, by the bar. As I'm walking back, I'm noticing these bracelets, WWJD. Now, that's a Christian. And I looked around and said, not a chance. So I sat down, and the bartender came up, and I said, WWJD? Yeah, what would Johnny do? That's when Johnny Damon played for the Red Sox. <laughs> Next year, he got transferred to the Yankees, and it was all over. So it's the only time I've ever seen Christianity copy WWJD. So Martin Luther, he said, why can't we do this? And so he put candles on the tree, actual candles. And if you go to Germany, you can actually still see that. We lived there four years. And to symbolize the stars. And so that's kind of how it entered into our tradition. So when we talked about every year how to bring the children into this, we thought, why don't we put a tree up and let them hang decorations? And they'll make decorations that are going to be hanging on the glass out there uh, to remind them of the Christmas story. So we thought with you that we would look at all the characters of the story and the role that the characters play. So that's why a tree, that's what we're doing. So all of these decorations are here for a purpose. I always say this at the beginning of Advent. You know, when we do decorations and things, it's not really to make you feel good. That's not really the goal. A tradition done well, and many of you come from a variety of traditions, uh, especially from those that come from uh, high church backgrounds, liturgical churches, you have a lot of tradition. A tradition that's done well brings Christ into your life in a very real way. A tradition done poorly just makes you feel good about yourself. And I don't want that. That's not what I want from you. I want you to actually think through why we're doing what we're doing as we move through Advent so that it begins to generate hope, true hope. Because that's one of the things that we have that the world does not have is true hope. And so we need to develop that, especially in a time of turmoil. So we just finished Ecclesiastes where we looked at how you build identity and how do you develop identity and significance. And so now we're going to spend Advent talking about hope and all of that. So today, you know, the Ford, you know, hope, joy, all that. Today we're going to talk a little bit about joy because that's right here in the actual um, message from the angels. So think carefully about what your traditions are. Nancy and I, our tradition is to do um, an Advent candle. That's what we do. We've done it every year for since we've been married. And um, our kids are all grown now, and so we still do it. It's different than when all the kids were around. We were just reminded of that at Thanksgiving because we had a house full. Three of our grown kids with their spouses and eight grandchildren, and they decided to spend the night. We had kids sleeping under the pool table on all the couches in the hallway. How about this? Can you hear okay? Okay. So we had kids everywhere. 
It was a wonderful experience. It was complete chaos. I had to do, I, Nancy and I have a deal. She cooks and I clean up. I had to do four dishwasher loads on Thanksgiving Day. But the fun thing about it was some of the kids like to cook. Grandma, can I help you cook? And some of the kids clean up. I didn't even ask. They're just there. Can I clean up? Sure. So I cleaned a bunch of dishes, and I hadn't had a chance to dry them. So why don't you wipe, wipe off the dishes, and I'll put them in the dishwasher. Next thing you know, there's dirty food all over the clean dishes. And it's like, it's okay. I don't mind because I'm with my grandkids. It was complete chaos. And then uh, that just reminded me a taste, just a taste of what we're created for, that kind of fun chaos kids everywhere. Papa, can we do this? Papa, can we do this? Can we go here? Can we try this? Can we play this game? So I said to my six-year-old, she wanted to play pool. She doesn't know how to play pool. And I said, you do realize that you're going to be playing with a world champion. And she said, Papa, you're too old to be a world champion. <laughs> yeah. This is what Advent is all about. It's designed to soften our hearts. It's designed to bring us inside from a world of chaos and it's designed to generate some joy and hope and prepare us for the coming of the Lord. Because, see, we get to celebrate his first coming and we get to look forward to his second coming. And I don't know about you, but there are days when I really want him to come back. And I look forward to it. And so our time together over the next four weeks is a time to soften what's in here. And that's up to you. I can't make that happen. I can only make it happen with me to soften the heart. That's what Advent is all about. So it's an invitation as well as a glimpse into what we're created for. In, um, in Luke chapter 2, uh, there's a story of Simeon. Um, some of you are going to see up on the screen in a minute. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem, uh, verse 25, named Simeon, who was called righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the Lord's coming, the Messiah, in other words. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine? You're in a long train of hundreds of years of silence from the Lord. Not a word. From Malachi to Matthew is 450 years. Not a whisper. And I have a lot of literature during that time in the inter intermediate Period. Where did God go? And the Holy Spirit comes to you all of a sudden and says, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took this baby in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You see, the exile was not over. Oh, sure. Under, uh, under the surrounding nations, they let the Jews start coming back, but the glory of the Lord had never returned to the temple. It left in Ezekiel 10, had not come back. So the exile was formally not over yet. They were still in bondage. Paul talks about that when he talks about slavery to sin. They knew that because the glory of the Lord had not come back, that uh, their sins had not yet been forgiven. They understood that. What they didn't understand was how it's going to happen with the cross. 
but they knew that the bondage, the exile, was actually still in effect until the angels appeared. We're going to talk more about this, but what did he say? Angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory returns. The dawn of a new era. So let me begin with this question. What's keeping you from eagerly waiting for the Lord's return? What's keeping you from celebrating Advent and Christmas with a soft heart? What is it? Is it fear, frustration, anxiety, stress? What's keeping you from looking forward with joy over the next month to this, to the Lord's coming? Okay. Um, I already said, don't be satisfied with the lighting of a candle. Develop a tradition that generates hope. A good tradition does not shield us from the truth. It actually brings the truth into our life and propels us toward hope. And that's what we desire to do. Okay, so let's talk about the announcers. Why shepherds? You ever think about why shepherds? I mean, it's kind of an interesting puzzle. Let me tell you a little bit about the shepherds. They often, uh, they were nomads, typically. They lived outside in the open countryside. They didn't smell very good, you know. They were separate. You know why they didn't smell good? Sheep don't smell good. In fact, it's kind of interesting that God says that you guys are sheep. You don't smell good. I'm just telling you the truth, okay. Uh, we also know that sheep like to wander. They need a leader to wander. You guys hopelessly wander. I find you in bars, restaurants, coffee shops, all kinds of places. Have to go out and grab you. Not only that, sheep are sub-intelligent. That's you. I just heard the front row. <laughs> no, we're going to look at why sheep, why that metaphor. It's actually a very good metaphor, and it's a fun metaphor. But the shepherds, they were despised people. They were separated from human communities and cultures for long periods of time. This led to suspicion uh, they never really trusted the shepherds and to scorn on the part of the population. Because of their prolonged absences, they were disqualified from being legal witnesses under Jewish law. They, uh, uh, one third century rabbi commented that there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. The Mishnah and the Talmud both list shepherds along with gamblers and tax collectors as among the most despised trades. Okay? So, why shepherds? We're going to go back to Ezekiel 34, and I'm going to read this passage because I want you to capture how the Lord looked at shepherds, and that'll help us understand why he decided to go to the shepherds first. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Oh, no, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You know, there's several passages in Scripture that terrify me. One of them is uh, that not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment. But this is another one. Okay? Hebrews says that I will give an accounting for your souls and how I shepherded you. And the elders, we all give an accounting for the way we love you. Look what he says here. 
You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick, bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or even looked for them. Wow, what an indictment against the leaders. This is just uh, before the southern kingdom fell. But then he goes on. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. And so at one level, we understand why he chose shepherds. But there's another thing going on here in culture. Because in Luke 2, you heard it read, starts out in those days, Caesar Augustus. So Caesar is the head guy. He's the emperor of the Roman Empire. Here's what we know about Caesar. He is the only Roman emperor mentioned by name in the Gospels. He built the Roman Forum. He founded libraries. He sponsored lavish parties for the people. He was the first emperor to encourage a cult to deify his name as well as his legacy. He is hailed as the God whose, quote, birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Through various inscriptions that we know from the uh, ancient world, we know that he was hailed as a God, a son of God, a savior. He was associated with peace, hope, and good news. Good news, that's the same word we have for gospel. He proclaimed good news. So right in front of us, we have one of the greatest contrasts in the Bible. A shepherd who's despised, doesn't smell good, is not welcome in community, and the great emperor. In contrast to the emperors and to Caesar, the New Testament consistently holds shepherds in high regard, using the imagery of the shepherd for both Jesus and God himself. Shepherds were important. So when Jesus says to the disciples that if you want to be first, you need to be last, he himself became last. So Luke sets up this incredible contrast right off the bat to help us understand the true nature of the coming Messiah. Against the background of the Roman Empire and the great Caesar, we have these shepherds out on the hillside that hear the story for the first time. God chose the shepherds to announce the time has come for the Messiah. We say a word about the, the message itself. In verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Okay, pause for just a moment. You live up here in Summit County. You know what it's like at nighttime. It's dark, especially if you live away from our little towns here. Dark, and you see the stars. Can you imagine you're, you're sitting there watching the shepherds, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these angels appear and the glory of the Lord shone around them no wonder they were terrified an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Messiah has come. This is what they waited over 400 years for, the Messiah to come. And the shepherds were the first ones to hear it. I can only imagine what they thought. Of all the people, he chose the shepherds. So the announcement was accompanied by the glory of the Lord. We just said a minute ago that the glory of the Lord had departed the temple at the time of the exile. It reappears now, not in the temple, surprisingly. It reappears now with angels as they talk to the lowly shepherds. And it reappears again with Jesus. So when Jesus walks into the temple for the first time, the glory of the Lord returned. First time in 450 years. So this announcement was good news. That's what it says. I bring you good news. Now you have to understand that this counteracts Caesar's self-promotion. He uses the same word. We, we do something similar every year. I don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but we have the State of the Union speech every year where the president gets up to give us, you know, we, we've, we've got some problems, but we've got them all figured out. Here's my plan, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the Caesars all had the same thing. They recognized they had to keep the peasants under control. So we got good news. It's okay. He had, he had his own good news, which is the term for the gospel. He had his own gospel, if you will. And so what's happening here is this is now being contrasted with Caesar, and they're completely redefining what it means to be the people of God and what this good news actually is. It's the good news of God. And later on, they're going to call it the good news of Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. You, you see, salvation comes not through politics. It comes through forgiveness. When Satan offered uh, Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, he was offering him a crossless solution. You can solve all the problems of hunger, war, disease, everything through politics. I'll give it all to you and you can fix it. But that's not what the problem of the world is. The problem of the world has nothing to do with politics and hunger and disease. The problem of the world is lack of reconciliation and forgiveness. That's what the world needs. Because the moment we turn to Christ, we become citizens of a new country. Philippians 3, we are citizens of heaven. What the world needs is forgiveness. That's why I've said repeatedly, honestly, at this stage of life, it doesn't matter to me which president's in. I vote like you do. But then I sit back and enjoy the entertainment. Because the Lord, Psalm 2, laughs at the nations and their feeble attempts to control things like pandemics. So if he's going to laugh at them, so am I. Going to be entertainment. He scoffs and he laughs, Psalm 2 says. Ha, they think they've got it figured out. No, we don't. That's what the world needs. The world needs forgiveness. And that's what the good news is all about. So this announcement would bring great joy. Now, in contrast to the, quote, joy found in the Roman Empire, the joy that they're announcing is an endless joy. It's a very deeply satisfying joy. That's why I said this is an invitation to step into the presence of the Lord and enjoy it. To enjoy it. Set aside, just for these few weeks, the stresses and say, I'm really going to trust the Lord. And you will be very delighted at what happens. Luke always uses the term joy to describe the presence and the work of God. So now I have another question for you. 
Do you feel joy? How's your heart? Let's do a heart check. Is it soft? Sometimes my grandkids really help soften it. Just being honest. Sometimes sitting with Nancy just softens it. Sitting with the Lord, praying, it softens it. So I said, if you're, if you're feeling all that hardness and stress, you're just a little too far away from the Lord. Just take a step closer. Trust Him. Trust Him. Take a step closer. Say, I'm going to trust you, Lord, and watch what happens. So the announcement, the final thing about the message is that uh, he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Today in the town of David. You see, the, the word today in Luke is a theological term. It's happening right now. Right now. That's why when he stood up and read Isaiah, he said, today the scripture is fulfilled. Isaiah 61. The Messiah has come. That's in Luke 3. And so today it happened just like this. And that's why the heavenly host appeared. Look in verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host. Remember what he said? Today, the Messiah has come. He's in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host. That's a very important term. They appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, this word host has to do with an army. It's a word for an army. In fact, some of your translations, instead of the Lord of hosts or God of hosts, they'll translate it God of the great army, if you will. And so you can imagine this incredible army appearing with the glory of God. No wonder they were terrified when they saw it. Remember what Jesus said when Peter cut off the high priest here? Don't you know that I could ask my father and he would send legions upon legions of angels well, the shepherds got to experience it. Jesus didn't. The shepherds did. The announcers, they got to see this incredible. I can just imagine from horizon to horizon all of this host of angels singing and praising the Lord. What a great, great moment. They were not alone. They're watching the grand cosmic stage and the curtain gets pulled back. No one else saw it. They did. No wonder they started telling everybody about it. They watched a drama, the drama of history change. They watched redemptive history open right in front of their eyes. They saw all of that. Now remember, their world is filled with Roman soldiers. It's hard for us to imagine that because we're not kept under control with, you know, occupied soldiers. But they were. That's how they, if you've seen The Chosen, you see the Roman soldiers coming in and out of the stories, don't you? Mocking them, controlling them, mandating. And so that's what it was like for them. And now they see the true army of the Lord just scattered across the skies singing praises. I can't wait to get there and go find who they are and ask them, tell me what it was like. In contrast to the Roman army that brought destruction, terror, mocking, this army brought good tidings of peace, true peace, shalom, and joy. So the question then, we're going to end with this. 
Are you willing to accept that invitation for life, true life, for joy? Oh, there's a day when it's going to be wonderful, but we're not escapist. That's Plato. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it right now abundantly. Are you willing to accept this invitation? Remember I said the secret to... uh, the secret to this invitation is beginning to refocus ourselves to someone else. Find somebody to put before you. Find somebody to put first, whatever their need is. Encourage them. Let them know. Tell them. For you parents out there, is this the kind of um, environment you're creating with your children? To create this kind of amazement in the hearts, whether they're children or grown, it doesn't matter. Nancy and I still do stuff with our grandchildren. We read the first Christmas pageant, or best Christmas pageant ever to our children their whole lives. And last year I said, well, now that we have Zoom, why don't we do that to the grandkids? And they loved it. So they just told me yesterday, let's do it again. So we're going to read it to them again. What are the traditions you put in place to help your children build this sense of hope, this sense of awe at how incredibly good this God is and how supernatural it was that he came to the earth in the form of a baby. So are you living in the um, expectancy of the world? I mean, of uh, hope? Or are you living in the consumerism of the dazzle, the glitter, the lights? Oh, they're fun. Don't get me wrong. I love taking my granddaughters and going shopping the last day that I can before Christmas when the crowds are full. We have a lot of fun. But where's your real hope? That's the question you have to figure out. Where is it? I would suggest you'll be a lot happier if you place it in the Lord and let Advent soften that heart over the next four weeks. Father, thank you for sending us your son. We are so very grateful. Thank you for for that lonely hillside when you speak to the angels and they get to see something that we have to wait for, that incredible display of your glory with legions upon legions, hosts, a whole army. We can understand why you and us are stronger than whoever's in the world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.